0: on this episode of behind the headlines we are remembering september 11th 20 years later where were we that morning and how did our teams respond joining us on this special episode leanne smith lynn moore and Tonda gitmitter and so let's get into the episode as we remember 20 years ago to september 11th joining us today leanne lynn and tanda as well as my co-host as always vice president of content for mlive john heiner john how are you today Good morning, Eric. It is good to be here and good to be speaking with you and our guests today. Um, it's a special episode today, um, and a lot of a lot of people and, and institutions in America will be commemorating um, the, over the next week or so. Uh, you know, one of the the most, you know, traumatic and, you know, iconic events that happened in American history. Uh, and that is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center in New York. Uh, behind the headlines, this podcast is about journalism and journalists and how we do our work. Um, you know, the, what goes on behind the scenes, what goes on in our newsrooms. And, and the way we go about our jobs to to bring a to news and journalism to our customers and readers, and you know, in, in the course of my career, there's a handful of of events that just stick out as as the you know kind of inflection points in journalism, and almost transcend what we do day to day in storytelling because of the magnitude and. For me personally, the, the ones, and, and for every one of these events, I was in a newsroom, but the Challenger explosion um, mm-hmm. in, I think, 1985, Oklahoma City bombing, Columbine shootings, um, and of course, the, the World Trade Center attacks on 9-11, 2001. For today, we have some special guests who um, from MLive, but really to, to, to capture the context of this, um, they, 20 years ago, they were working for a newspaper as a part of a group of papers in Michigan called Booth Newspapers. And they're still with us here at MLive. Um, and today we're gonna uh, recount what it was like to, to work in a newsroom or out in the field that day uh, when this terrible news broke. So for, first I wanna introduce them one by one, um, Leanne Smith, who now is a news leader for us in, in Ann Arbor and Jackson. Welcome, Leanne.
1: Thanks, John.
0: And Leanne and I go way back. We, we, I think we started working together in Jackson around 1988 or so
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: in the Jackson newsroom there. Uh, yep. Over in Muskegon, uh, Lynn Moore is a lead reporter for us in Muskegon. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. And I did not work with Lynn in the eighties, but <laughs> we worked for the same company. And uh, in Grand Rapids uh, right now, who's our team leader for our life and culture team and our trending news teams, Tonda Gmitter. Good morning, Tonda.
2: Good morning.
0: So to set the table uh, in in 2001 on a bright, sunshiny Tuesday morning, uh, I was working in Bay City as a metro editor and the metro editors uh, were the leaders of the news teams and, and the newspapers we had around the state, eight newspapers and booth newspapers. And so I was directing morning news coverage and our big story of the day um, was that uh, the city of Bay City had been named uh, the port city of the year for the Tall Ships Festival that uh, had occurred in the Great Lakes. And the Tall Ships Festival were these big sailing ships that went to you know Cleveland, Detroit, uh, Chicago. So that was really big news in Bay City because it's a small town. So that was leading our paper that day. Um, and you know, my day was our deadline. I think our press started about 1130 or 1145. So it was a fairly normal morning up to that point. So that's my scene setter. Uh, Leanne, I wanna go to you. What do you remember about how that day started for you?
1: Um, I was at an elementary school doing a classroom feature um, I mean, I came into the office that morning, got organized, whatever, and took off for the school. Um, and, you know, it was just, that was what I, I cover, primarily covered education. So that that was a normal day for me, absolutely normal to uh, head into a classroom with a bunch of kids and a teacher to, to do a story on some cool program or
3: offering that they had.
0: And what about you, Lynn?
3: Yeah, uh, like Leanne, I was in an elementary school as well. Um, it was the beginning of the school year um, and there had been some changes um, in the Muskegon Public Schools District and the superintendent was showing me around. Um, I had not been in the office yet that morning. I had just gone straight to um, this tour of um, the schools with Superintendent Joe Schultz.
0: And, and Tonda, what was your role back then at the Grand Rapids Press and what was your how was your day starting that day?
2: My day was already underway. At that time, I was what we referred to then as second engine cops reporter, which means you came in second around 7.30 a.m. So by that time in the morning, I already had my assignments. I was working on deadline. Grand Rapids had, I believe, three morning deadlines at that time, starting from way out and then moving into the suburbs and then finally one for our downtown readers. Mm -hmm. So, yes.
0: So here's what I, this is how it first came to my conception. We had a newsroom clerk. Her name was Brooke. She had called in sick that day. Uh, we had a TV in the newsroom, which uh, was never turned on unless <laughs> we knew something was happening because it was a bit of a distraction. And my my phone rang on my desk and it was Brooke at home. And she said, you know, are watching TV. And I said, no. And she said, a plane flew into the trade center the world trade center. And my very first thought was it was a private plane or a small jet, or it was an accident. Um, and so we went and turned the TV on and the images, of course, were of the smoke billowing out of the building. And we went over a circle around the TV and I saw the size of the hole in the building. And I started counting the floors, um, how many floors it was. And it looked like it was like 12 floors, the size of the hole. And that's when I realized it was a commercial jet, and um, you know your mind, the comp- you can't comprehend, or I couldn't comprehend, and get my head around it. Like, was it an accident or whatever? Then I remembered in 1993, I believe it was, that Al Qaeda had put a bomb in the bit in the parking garage of the World Trade Center, and I knew that it had been sort of a target for you know because of capitalism and U.S. You know, global politics and stuff, and then that was when the first thought entered my mind that, that it may have been something more than an, than an accident. And, uh, and I'll, I'm going to stop right there and, and turn to you and just to hear how you first heard of this, uh, where you were. Go ahead, Leanne.
1: Um, well, like I said, I was in this classroom um, at this elementary school and somebody from the office came in. And because the principal and maybe even the superintendent was there with me and um, said you know whispered in their ear you probably should come to the office and so we went to the office and they had a tv there um and like you looking at it it, it, and seeing this and trying to comprehend what had happened again we thought it was at that time just a freak crash that a plane taking off from one of the airports in new york had you know had problems or whatever and and flew into the building but it was just it was an unbelievable sight i remember everyone just standing there stone quiet watching this and just trying to to wrap their heads around what we were seeing and and what was
0: happening Lynn, you were in a school as well did you have a similar experience for how the word got out
3: um yeah, in in this school, uh, they did have TVs in the classrooms. Um, so they had a TV on. Uh, I remember we walked into a room and the TV was on, and they were showing footage um of what we thought was this accident at the time. Um, it was pretty horrifying. And I honestly I was kind of surprised that they had the TV on for the children. Um, they were viewing it, but like I said at that time, like Leanne said, um, You know, nobody really realized the extent of it, that it was a terrorist attack, thought it was just a just an accident. So, um, yeah, at that point, um, you know, that's how we first learned about the first plane going in. Um, It it, it didn't sink in uh, until later in our tour, uh, what was actually happening.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you were doing routine police uh, write-ups. Do you remember the first exclamation of this in the newsroom in Grand Rapids or how how the word got out?
2: Yeah, I was sitting at my desk writing on deadline and my desk in back of my desk was a large overhead TV that was tuned into the Today Show. So the image that everybody remembers, the first plane hitting, the second plane hitting after the first plane hit. People who normally would just be walking by my desk to go get coffee, go talk to the editor, were stopping. Soon there was a very small group of people glued to the TV behind my chair. So I stopped writing, turned around, looked at what was happening. By the time the second plane hit, there were lots of exclamations in the newsroom when everybody realized this was not an accident. And that's what the TV announcers were starting to say. And then we had to come up with a plan.
0: That's a good segue um, to a guy who's a metro editor. My job was, you know, to look like I was on top of the news and was deploying my resources properly to cover stories. And it's one thing to have a you know a double fatal accident in town and you send you know, a photographer and a reporter out. So, and then, and I'll get to deadline in a minute, but you know, my in instinct is I got to be on top of this. I need to, for the sake of our readers, figure out what's happening and get that in the paper and tell them what's happening. And, and, and the magnitude of this exceeded my ability <laughs> to, to deploy resources because it felt like I wanted to put everybody out there on some aspect of this and figure it out. But, uh, it, as you said, we were watching the TV when the second plane flew in, everyone thought it was a replay of the first plane flying in it, Like they were showing a, a replay of it. And the instant that both buildings had been hit, uh, all of a sudden it was chaos. And of course the wires, the, you know, the associated press were starting to send dispatches and it was the unknown. Um, and by the time the Pentagon hit, got hit, it felt like everything, the Sears tower, the, you know, um, the trans America building in San Francisco is like everything was going to be under attack. And there was this profound sense of, um, insecurity. And I don't want to say it was chaos in the newsroom. It was more like trying to figure it out. And I remember and this is this is not to discredit anybody, um, you know, or second guess anybody, because there was just it was just crazy how quickly this was hitting us all. But our front page was going to be two thirds of the front page was going to be this tall ship story. And we had a big picture of the tall ships and it was really big news. And at the time, the editor was like, well, no, don't tear the front page apart. You know, we'll just strip it across the top that, you know, the trade centers got hit and that that didn't seem sufficient you know and I was so i was arguing let's just let's wait let's get as much information as we can um and the thing was is a lo- at a local news uh level in bay city it it was hard to be able to use my resources to make sense of what was going on other than to watch what we saw on tv follow the dispatches from around the country and of course then it came out that you know flight 93 Um, You know, airports were were diverting flights and and all of this stuff. So um, let's let's go a little further into the morning. So, um, Leanne, what did you make contact back to your newsroom or or did you stay put at the school? What did you do next?
1: Well, it was, um, you know, the school people kind of went into school mode. They were trying to figure out if parents were going to want to come and pick up their kids and what do we do? And, you know like Lynn said there were TVs in the classrooms they were they were should we turn turn it on should we tell teachers not to turn their TVs on you know they kind of went into their mode and I just you know basically said I better get back to my newsroom so I pretty much just picked up and left and and went back to Jackson to the the office to you know see what I could do um to To help out when I walked in, you know, it was I'm sure just a lot like the rest of your newsroom rooms were with a flurry of people um, running around. Uh, we were on deadline, like you said. I remember them saying, "We've got to remake the front page." Um, you know, beyond that, it was just it was all just kind of a blur to me. I don't even remember exactly what I did. Um, I'm sure I was contributing to a story or or making phone calls or something. It just all became sort of a blur. But it was just, you know, moving into that journalist mode, just doing what we do to get the news out and and inform people to the best of our ability of what's happening. And, um, you know, you just kind of went into action, I
0: guess. Lynn, what happened on the scene in, in the school in Muskegon you were at?
3: Yes. Yeah, so after that first plane hit and it was kind of shocking. Oh, wow. You know that, that, that's tragic. Uh, we continued on our tour. Um, and, uh, Mr. Schultz, uh, you stopped, you know, bringing me into different classrooms. I, I, as I recall, most of them had the TVs on, um, and then, uh, we um learned that the second plane had hit um tvs were still on and um i remember uh going into a stairwell uh with the superintendent and he made a call back to his office to find out what was really going on um and at that point he ordered all the tvs turned off in the classrooms again you know i i was just really surprised uh, that the children were being subjected to. Them. these were elementary students. Um, but I really think that teachers themselves wanted to know what was going on. Um, and it really wasn't clear uh, at the beginning, like we talked about. But um, so then at that point, the superintendent, you know, said, geez, I, you know, I've really got to get back to my office. And I said, yeah, I, I need to get back to the newsroom, uh, which was very close. Um, I, w- I remember I walked um, back to the newsroom and, uh, you know, I, My memory of the newsroom was walking in and everybody pretty much in shock. Um, Everybody, you know, I don't recall a whole lot of chatter. I mean, I I, I just think people were in shock and there was a lot of disbelief and a lot of fear. Uh, People were really scared. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, like Leanne, some of the, you know, 20 years ago, you know, some of the memories are blurred. But I I just remember that sense of shock and fear in the newsroom, you know, at the same time having to do our jobs. But, um, yeah.
0: Well, it went to a different level when the first building collapsed. That was when you know it was it was more like are they going to rescue those people in the windows or you know we knew people were jumping are they going to helicopters going to get them off the roof? Once that first building collapsed, it just went to a different realm and uh, it, of sadness. I mean, to realize how many souls had just been lost, um, the likelihood that the second building would collapse. So get your mind around the, the thought that these iconic buildings in the center of Manhattan would, weren't going to be there, um, that whoever had attacked us had succeeded in what they were doing, the, the sense of insecurity about that. And then, like I said, knowing that the Pentagon got hit, how many planes were in the air that were going to become bombs? You know, it it, it was a profound sense of insecurity. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'd mentioned deadline earlier. I'm really grateful, <laughs> usually I hated deadlines, but I was grateful to have a deadline that was sort of like a guardrail and, and a thing that was pushing us to do our job and stay focused rather than just get swept away in a tsunami of the emotions of everything that was happening and the fears you said. So, and Tonda, you didn't, you didn't get to sit around in the newsroom, um, you know, we talked a little bit uh, before this podcast, but w- what happened next for you? Because you were pressed into service.
2: That's correct. Yes. Well, as you know, when something like this happens, there's there's at least two fronts that the editors are looking at. They are looking at how do we keep readers informed? How do we hold up that mirror and show them what's happening? And at that point in time, the biggest way we could do that is you know, find out what was on the wires. Associated Press became a lifeline, um, especially after the second plane hit. And then we heard, we saw that the um, FAA had put out the word that planes were being grounded. So Mm -hmm. any plane in the air needed to land and not where they were supposed to land. They needed to land at their closest airport. So for grand Rapids, part of our story was that Gerald R Ford airport became a landing zone for planes that never intended to be there in the first place. So my assistant editor sent me out, uh, I believe with a photographer. And our job was to go to the airport and talk to travelers who were in the air when this happened and were now landing in a completely different world.
0: Well, when you got there, so these aren't people who are intending to be in Grand Rapids. They could have been on their way to, you know, Seattle or something. But what was the scene and the you know, tone, the mood in, in the airport? And again, talk about how you were able to stay focused and do your job in that environment.
2: It was unnaturally quiet. I think anyone who travels a lot you know, knows that there are airport announcements and, and a lot of hustle and bustle. I remember walking into the, the lobby area where there were lots of television sets and seeing people come down the ramps, um, clearly confused, not sure where exactly they were or why they were landing there, although I believe announcements were made on planes from what the passengers told us very limited announcements. Um people were trying to get their bearings when they came off a lot of them were crowding around the TVs that were available and they were watching those scenes that they didn't see in the you know while they were in the air like the rest of us on the ground did. They were watching plane number 1 and plane number 2. Um some of them were hearing about the Pentagon attack. So you had people clustering around there. Some of them had cell phones at the time, um, but not a lot. So there were big lines for the pay phones. Mm-hmm. They were trying to figure out how to get home. Could they rent a car? Were there any cars left to rent? That quickly became an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the the groupings. So people would come off and they would sit in groups. And then there were clearly a couple of times where people did get bad news. And I remember one time in particular where a woman who was sitting with a couple other women at a table got a phone call and she just collapsed. I mean, into tears, crying very loudly. Um, you assume that she had you know, found out bad news related to the tragedy. So right. it was important to be able to talk to people. But as we all do, when we're in a trauma situation, find very respectful ways to make sure people have their space and you're not intruding.
0: Right. Were you asked, were you calling back anecdotes to, to the office or were you there to collect and go back and write?
2: Both. Um, I was calling in anecdotes, uh, I believe, every 15 to 20 minutes, talking to either reporters or assistant editors in the newsroom. And um, then also collecting personal stories for the second day wave of, of reporting that we were you know, sure to have and setting up already.
0: Right. And you had mentioned earlier that Grand Rapids had three editions, So you had the benefit of that. Um, I do remember getting pushing a little bit of a later press start so we could get the latest information. And yes, ultimately, we remade the front page. Um, the gigantic image we used was the very iconic picture of the second building collapsing or the first building collapsing and people running in terror down the street towards the photographer. Um, Again, we did not know the magnitude of where the story was going to end that day, Um, but we also were an afternoon paper and we wanted to get the papers out on the streets as soon as possible so people could have that in their hand and and get it delivered to people to compete. I I hate to say it, but we got to compete with the TV news cycle, too um of course the national news just went 24 7 for days on this so um leanne said it best it was it's a blur it's hard for me to remember exact specifics of who i asked to do what and editing and um but i do remember make remaking the front page and the tall ship story did make it to the very bottom of the page (laughs) it's we put a little strip down there um but the personal story I have coming out of that was in the middle of all this unknown, the chaos, and the work. Is my phone rang at my desk, and it was my first wife. Uh, at the time, we were divorced, and she had moved. My we had an eight year old son. They lived in Brighton, and she called in just terror, you know, and fear. And she said, "I want to go get my son out of our son out of school." I just wanna go get him. I wanna know he's with me and he's safe. And I said, absolutely. I mean, you know, do do what you need to do. Um, do you, any of you have any remembrance of personal things like that or how you felt or talking to your spouses or loved ones um, during the day, Leanne?
1: Um, well, yes, my my mother-in-law had been visiting us. Uh, from Florida, Mike's, Mike's mom. And she flew out that morning to go home. Oh, no. But she left early. Um, I think her flight was, it was very early. It was, you know, around seven o'clock or so. And so, obviously, my, my husband is frantically trying to make sure that his mom is home, has landed, has gotten home. Um, And I, I don't recall I don't think she did i think she was one of the people that got her flight ended up being rerouted um and landed somewhere in between here in florida where i think she stayed um for a day or so before she could actually get home but um you know i just remember mike being frantic Trying to, uh, you know, help his mom figure out because again, I remember her trying trying to run a car, and it was impossible. There was just absolutely, no no place um, where you could do that. And uh, she did finally get home, and you know, all was well. But that that was sort of the the center of his world at the, at that point was checking on his mom and uh, you know making sure she was safe first, and then trying to help her. Uh, eventually get back home.
0: Mm-hmm. Lynn, what about you personally? Um, you know, whether it was during the work day or afterwards, what do you remember about that?
3: Yeah, I you know I don't remember a lot about the workday, um, but I do remember afterwards. Um, at that time, um, I was working in Muskegon, of course, um, but I was living in Grand Rapids, um, and so that was about a forty-minute drive for me, and that was the longest drive to uh, pick up my two-year-old uh, who was in childcare at the time, um, and. Uh, I, you know, like you mentioned, John, all you want is to just have your kid close to you. Um, And I I, I was very, very emotional picking her up and I just did not want to let her go. I mean, two years old, she, she had no clue what was going on, but I was certainly emotional, still feel emotional when I think about it. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough day.
0: Sure. Yeah. I felt we, they succeeded in making us feel all under attack and vulnerable. Um, uh, Tonda, how about you? Do you remember personally after the workday or during the workday, um, how you were able to reconnect with your feelings about yourself and your family?
2: I remember driving to the airport to report on the planes that were being grounded and talking with family members because I had a sister-in-law at the time living in Boston who was flying to New York for work that day. So we were trying to figure out what flight she was on and if it matched any of the flight numbers we were hearing that were starting to come out on the news. And then a second relative worked downtown New York City. And when the towers collapsed, we were concerned that she was able to get out of the city and get home because public transportation was such a mess, understandably, and um, she likes to tell the story that she was one of those people that we all saw that day walking in those huge lines, just walking home
0: mm-hmm.
2: among hundreds of people crossing bridges. I think she stopped and um, bought in a new pair of tennis shoes because she had worn dress shoes to work and there was no way she could walk miles home mm-hmm. in dress shoes. So she stopped and got a pair of tennis shoes and joined the big horde walking home.
0: Yeah, I recall, I mean, it was a long work day. I can't tell you when I got home. Um, I was married, remarried at that point. Uh, my daughter was still in the womb. So great, <laughs> gratefully, we didn't have to do any ex- explanation, but we had to with my eight-year-old son to talk about, or try to put it in perspective for him that it didn't make him scared, senseless for the rest of his life. But we were scared, um, you know, it was difficult. And so even though my daughter didn't witness it, she grew up in the world that's been completely affected. Um, that was a turning point for American culture, how we view ourselves, the, the world views us, um, our sense of security, the fact that, I mean, we could start cataloging all the ways our lives changed that day from the TSA to, you know, uh, uh, just our feelings about ourselves as a country. So, um, it's interesting, as I said, at the outset, as journalists, our job is to uh, report, explain, give context, um, This is one that almost the historians and psychologists and sociologists uh, would probably do a better job than the journalists. Our job was to get the news out to people that day. Um, In in the aftermath, Leanne, do you remember what was the the, the weeks following that? I remember the kind of news we were doing to try to make it local. We were finding people with connections to um, the trade center companies, that people had been lost, Um, the stories of travelers trying to get home. Do you remember anything specific out of Jackson?
1: I don't remember anything specific. I re, I do remember, you know, everyone hunting down those local connection stories. And I know there were some, um, uh, but nothing specific comes to to mind for me.
0: Yeah, Lynn?
3: Yeah, um, what stands out to me is that we did have a local person. Um, he had moved to New York City, but he, he did die. Um, in the World Trade Center. And I remember um, his family was so tight-lipped. They did not want to talk to any journalists, any, uh, they did not want to tell his story, which surprised us. But I mean, you know, who's to say, um, you you know, their shock, their horror just must have been overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I do remember we had that local connection. I don't think we ever really wrote much about him. Um, We knew he was a victim, but
2: but it kind of ended there.
0: Right, Tonda?
2: There were, um, from what I recall, a handful of local connections in the Grand Rapids area. And I really remember the reporters that I work with, I remember feeling very proud of them because when they contacted family members, um, they were really able to put together stories that shared the life of a person, not just that they were a victim or part of this tragedy but who they were, what they loved, you know, what their life was about. And I think that was really important for readers because it gave them a sense of community, but it also showed them in great detail what we lost that day.
0: Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out, because not just in national tragedies, but everyday tragedies that happen in our communities. That's what we strive to do is is to talk about the lives that were and what their contributions were and how they should be remembered. And just to do this, though, on a national scope, the scope that we were doing it. And then one another thing I remember, too, was, was just the national pride, the patriotism. We were all watching them dig the rubble out and the hope that they could find survivors. And and then just the role of firefighters, first responders. I remember writing stories about uh, people volunteering to go you know, whole units of firefighters going to New York to help. And obviously we didn't know the long term health effects of that. We didn't know. But uh, the national response was something um, that the sense of unity that we were in it together, even in our fear and confusion. uh, I remember that as well. You know, hats off to you all who were there, uh, who were in the newsrooms. Um, It it doesn't feel heroic. It feels like we're doing our jobs um, in these circumstances but um, it also shows that we're human beings and we're trying to navigate our feelings when we when we're covering difficult stories like this as well so uh thank you leanne thank you lynn And thank you conda very much for for joining on this special conversation today on, on behind the headlines And there they go. A special thanks to Leanne, Lynn and Tonda for joining us today. As always, if you like what John and I are doing on Behind the Headlines, like, subscribe and share wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, he
2: is John Heiner. I am Eric Colquhoun. And this is Behind the Headlines.